uh, new or you're a guest, my name is Brian Clayberg. I'm the, actually the worship pastor here. And this morning I have the privilege and the honor of leading us in a different facet of worship through the preaching and the teaching of the Word. And uh, I'm excited to do that. I'm always thrilled to do that, especially today. Especially today because we're in the book of Psalms. And there's no secret between the staff that uh, the book of Psalms is one of my favorite books in Scripture. Just as an artist and as a worship leader, I have a special affection for the songs. These songs of ancient Israel, these songs that they used to proclaim God's goodness and all these things. So I love the Psalms. Uh, I'm, I'm excited to, uh, to wrap up our series with the very last Psalm, Psalm 150, and we're going to be looking at the life song of worship this morning, uh, and, and this idea that, uh, that our song of life is a song of worship. And uh, the book of Psalms, in case you didn't know this, is really broken up into five separate categories or five separate books. And at the end of each book or section, it ends with a doxology or a, a kind of a, a final thought of praise or adoration or something to end that book. And Psalm 150 is not only the doxology for book number five, but it's really the doxology for all of the book of Psalms. It was put purposefully at the end of the book of Psalms for a reason. And so we're going to look this morning at this conclusion, this culmination of all these different thoughts, 149 Psalms of different genres, different styles of music, highest of highs to lowest of lows, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. And it's all going to end with this doxology of Psalm 150. So here's what it says. Let's take a look at it. Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. Praise him for his mighty deeds. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Praise him with trumpet sound and praise him with lute and harp. Praise him with tambourine and dance. Praise him with strings and pipe. Praise him with sounding cymbals. Praise him with loud clashing cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. This is the doxology for the book of Psalms. And uh, I love that this song... uh, praises God so much. And this is what I really want us to understand this morning. This is kind of the main theme that I want us to go after, and it's this. The praise of God should be the priority of the believer. The praise of God should be the priority of the believer. Now, we're in a series called Songs in the Key of Life, and if you didn't know this, we stole that from Stevie Wonder. Uh, His album that he released in 1976 was his most well-known piece. Uh, He put so much passion into those songs. They meant so much to him. And I know you've heard some of the other guys talk about Stevie and some of the background of that if you've been here. And you've seen some some clips of Stevie singing some of those songs. I'll just just confess to you right now, I'm I'm, I'm over. We're done with the Stevie Wonder jokes and all that kind of stuff. We're not going to even go there. It's not fair, especially to Stevie. So you can't even see him coming. Okay, so, sorry, I'm sorry. That was too easy. I'm sorry, it was too easy. Actually, uh, Josh Cuellar was the one that told that joke in staff meeting or something. I said, Josh, I'm using that in my sermon. Okay, so I'll give credit where credit is due. Uh, but he, he gave this album, Songs in the Key of Life. And, and so if we're going to kind of use this musical analogy, and our life is a song, then the key of our life should be the key of worship. Worship is the key our life song should be in. Now, if you don't know anything about music, uh, let me just give you a quick little lesson, a little theory lesson here. So in, in, in music, the key of a song is the major or minor scale around which a song rotates. It gives it its structure, 
It's its foundation. It gives it its place of home and its place of ending. It is everything about that song. And so if we're using the musical analogy and our life is to be a song, then the key of our song, our foundation, our structure, what makes us who we are should be the key of worship. And this psalm is going to do a great job of showing us what a life of worship looks like. It's going to really do five things. It's going to show us five things. Uh, it's going to show us, it's going to show us uh, who we praise or who we worship, where we praise, how we praise, why we praise, and who praises. It's going to show us all those things very simply. So what I'd like to do is just kind of walk through each of those with you. The first thing is who we praise who we praise. And notice the psalmist starts off this psalm just by proclaiming, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. In fact, 13 times this refrain of praise the Lord will be repeated in only six verses. Praise the Lord. Now, it should be... uh, it should be easy for us to understand that this idea of praise should be directed to God. But I don't want us just to skip over verse 1, especially this first refrain, praise the Lord, because the reality is that we were created to do this. We were created to do this. I don't know if you know this or not, or if you've come to this realization, but you were created to worship. It is in your very nature. Now, when we're talking about worship and praise, let's define that a little bit. So if we're talking about worshiping, we're talking about ascribing value or worth to something or someone. We're not just talking about a general affection or love. We're talking about a heightened affection or love, ascribing worth or value to something. This is what you were created to do. The problem, however is that sin has come in and it's messed the whole thing up. In fact, Paul in the book of Romans chapter 1 really talks about this idea really well. He he talks about the idea that God has made himself known. Like you are without excuse. You should be able to go out and look at anything that God has created and you should know there is a creator God. But Paul in Romans 1 says what people have done in their sin is they've suppressed that truth. They've suppressed it, and so they turn their worship from God where it should be, and they turn it to something else. And he talks about idols, and that they create these idols, and it could be anything that we would turn our affection and our worth and our value towards. And then he says this, Romans chapter 1, verse 24, Therefore God gave them up in the lust of their hearts and impurity to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and listen, and worshiped and serve the creature rather than the creator. You will worship something. It's the one thing in life you don't have any control over. You are created to worship. The question is, what are you worshiping? What are you giving that added value and worth towards? And here the psalmist says, the object or the aim of our worship has got to be the Lord. Praise the Lord. Lord. Because when we take our attention and our worth and our worship to something other than God where it should be, we get ourselves into trouble. And here's the next point that I want you to understand. You are never more self-deceived than when you are worshiping something other than God. You are never more self-deceived when you're pursuing something that is not worthy of your worship. Now, the flip side of that is this. You are never more self-aware than when you are worshiping God. 
Like in those moments where your heart and your affection is on God, when you're ascribing worth and value to him and him alone, in those moments, you are never more self-aware of your own sin, your own desperation, your own need, all in light of God's holiness and his justice and his mercy. You're never more self-aware than when your worship is on God where it's supposed to be. And you're never more self-deceived than when your worship isn't on the one it should be on. So the psalmist begins with, you've got to praise the Lord. That is who we praise. And then the next thing is where we praise. The verse goes on to say, praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. Now the term here used for sanctuary is really talking about anywhere that God dwells. And it could be argued for sure that this could be talking about, especially in the time of the psalmist when they were writing this, that this could be referring to the tabernacle or even the temple where God's physical presence dwelt with the people. Uh, It could be argued that this even today could talk about the church, where we have come together this morning for the purpose of praising and worshiping God. But it's more than that. Uh, This is talking specifically about God's created order, that God is everywhere, and so you can praise God everywhere. Not only does he dwell in us through the Holy Spirit, but God in his omnipresence is literally everywhere. So you can maybe read this better as this, praise God anywhere and everywhere. That's where we praise. Now, this does not neglect the gathering together to worship God corporately. That there are some people that will make this statement all the time, I don't need a church building, I don't need to go to a location to praise God. I don't need to go gather with other believers in fellowship and worship and service. I don't need to do that. I can do that anywhere. And yes, that is true. But your worship will still be lacking. Your worship will still be incomplete. Your worship actually will be against what God has ordained and commanded for you not to forsake the gathering together. But we can worship God anywhere and everywhere within us and all around us, in all things, in all places. That is where we worship. That is where we praise. Then the next thing he goes on to talk about is why we praise. I love this one. In verse 2, he says this. Praise him for his mighty deeds. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. And there really should never be a a reason for us not to worship God. But here specifically the psalmist says, hey, praise him for his mighty deeds. The things that he's done. What has he done in your life? What has he done in, in the lives of people around you? Praise God for those mighty deeds. The next point that I want us to see from this is that we praise God for who he is and for what he's done. for who he is and for what he's done. And if we're being honest, if there's a shortage of worship in our hearts and in our lives, it usually is because we are failing to recognize who God is and what God has done. We are failing to remember who God is and what God has done. We are forgetting the mighty acts that he's done not only in our life but the lives of those around us, his own created order. We're forgetting that his mighty deeds really find their fullness in his son Jesus Christ who died on our place on the cross. We forget those things. 
And then there will be a shortage of worship in our life. And too often, uh, we forget. But I want us to understand something, and that's this. The next point is this. True knowledge of God will always lead to true worship. That when we are remembering, when we are studying, when we're on, we are in the Word, when we are getting afreshed in our knowledge, that knowledge of God will always lead us back to worship. But if we're being honest, I think what tends to happen, I know in my life as well, is that we get into circumstances and situations in our life that affect us and they affect our worship. We deal with difficult things. We struggle with questions. And those circumstances affect our worship. Sometimes we take God down from his throne and we try to put him into some type of box that we think we can control or understand. And of course, there's not going to be any fervency to that worship. But we tend to let circumstances dictate our worship. And the next point that we, know, we must understand is this. Circumstances don't dictate our praise. God's greatness and character fuels our praise. Listen, in this world, you will have trouble. Now, this isn't what the psalmist does, Right? Because you can read the psalmist, you could read David, you could read any of them. On one page, on one psalm, they'll say, where are you in all of this, God? Where are you? This is hard, this is difficult, but by the end of the psalm, do you know what they're doing? Praising God. It's not that you're fake about it. It's not that you just forget about your circumstances or you pretend that they're not there. That you deal with them, that you confess them, but you don't let your circumstances dictate your worship and your praise of God. You remind yourself of his goodness, of his greatness, of his mighty deeds, and you let that fuel you and charge you back into worship. And I think if we're being honest, let's just get real for a minute. When we're stale in our worship, when we're stagnant in our worship of God, It's usually because we're forgetting who he is and what he's done. It's usually because we're letting our circumstances dictate our worship. And here's what I'd like you to understand. The way in which we worship God implies what we think and believe about God. Worship is the expression of what we know to be true about God. So if we're thinking of God in light of his holiness, in light of his mercy and justice and forgiveness and redemption over our lives, if God is right-sized in our hearts and minds again, the only response will be to worship. I mean, think about it. In Scripture, any time someone comes into the presence of God in his holiness, what do they do? Well, they don't go, man, I'm having a bad day. Oh, man, I'm dealing with a, a difficult situation My circumstances aren't allowing me to worship you. Sorry, no, they fall on their face before God and they worship Him. They do not let their circumstances dictate their praise and worship of God. Because what that shows is they know who God is. How we praise shows what we think and believe about God. So if we're not praising Him because of a bad situation, then what are we saying about God? You're not bigger than the circumstance that I'm in. You're not over the circumstance. You don't care about this. No, you see, the truth should be that when we're dealing with difficulty and circumstances that are tough, because in this world you will have trouble, we remember the rest of the verse. 
But take heart, I have overcome the world. God, you are bigger than my circumstance. You are bigger than this situation. And even though I'm struggling and I may not understand it, I will worship you. Listen, you should worship even harder when you're dealing with difficulty. Because that says a lot about what you think and believe about God. So he says this, and then we just need to remember that who he is, what he's done, let that fuel our worship. And then the next thing he's going to go on to say is how we praise. And I love these verses. Here's how we praise, he says. He says this in verse 3. Praise him with trumpet sound. Praise him with lute and harp, with tambourine and dance, with string and pipe, with sounding cymbals. Praise him with loud clashing cymbals. Oh, I love this one. Now, I'll be honest with you, I've just been tempted over the years because I'm a worship leader, especially in the contemporary modern setting. I've been tempted over the years to use this passage as like justification. (laughs) Because people are always like, why do you do all that? Why do you have drums and guitars and haze and lasers and all this kind of video stuff and screens? Like, it should just be this. And And it's very tempting. You go, look, right there. Bam! But I know and I understand that this text is not giving us a list of appropriate instruments in worship. This text is so much more than that. It's a holistic view of worship. It's a holistic view. So it's this idea that, hey, what do you have? You have a harp? Praise God with your harp. What do you got? You got a lute? What is that? Praise God with it. What do you have? You got some, you got a pipe? Mike, you got an organ? Praise God with your organ. Hey, what do you got? You got a, you got a trumpet? Man, proclaim it. Praise God with that. Praise God with that trumpet. Hey, what do you got? You got tambourine and dance? Oh, dang it. I meant to, I meant to skip that one. I'm sorry, Pastor. I meant to. <laughs> it's X'd out and everything, and I just, ah, oh, I couldn't do that. <laughs> well, praise God with that. <laughs> but listen, this is not just talking about instruments. This is a holistic view of worship. What do you have? Do you have generosity? Praise God with your generosity. Hey, do you have uh, the gift of hospitality? Hey, praise God with the gift of hospitality. Nothing is off limits. God has gifted you with certain things. He's given you instruments to praise Him with. What are those instruments in your life? What are they? And praise Him with that. Next point is this. There's no instrument in our lives that can't praise God. Nothing is off limits. Praise him with anything and with everything. So let's just quick recap. Who do we worship? We worship God and God alone. Do not turn your worship to something other than God. Where do we worship? Everywhere and anywhere in God's creation. Why do we worship? Because of his goodness. Because of the things that he's done. How do we worship? With any instrument that he's given us. Anything and everything. And the last thing he tells us And Psalm 150 is, who praises? Like, who's invited to praise? Who's invited to worship? And in verse 6, it ends with this, Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. And then one last time, as if to say it once again, praise the Lord. Now, it's interesting to me that uh, the psalmist uses the word breath. Let everything that has breath 
Like, why use that? Why not, why not say, like, let every creature or every living thing? Why are you using the word breath here? Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. And what's interesting is this idea of breath really is interlaced throughout Scripture. This idea of breath reoccurs time and time again within Scripture. In fact, in the creation account, in the garden, and God is creating man, it says, Then the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. So God creates humanity. He then breathes into his creation breath so that this humanity can be animated to life. Why? So that they can now worship the one who created them. It's what you were created to do. And this next point is this. The very life-giving breath of God in our lungs is there so that we might worship him. But it doesn't just end there. There's other accounts as well. In Job, it says, For as long as life is in me and the breath of God is in my nostrils. In Isaiah 42, Thus says God the Lord who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and its offspring, who gives breath to the people in it. And it doesn't end there either. Where a similar word for breath is used in the Gospels. When Jesus is hanging on the cross, During the crucifixion in Mark, here's what it says, and when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour, and at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, behold, he's calling Elijah. And someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink, saying, wait, let's see whether Elijah will come and take him down. And then verse 37, listen, and Jesus uttered, a loud cry, and breathed his last. Catch this, please. Catch this. The very creator God, who breathed his life into his creation so that they might live, breathed out his own breath of life so that we would not die in our sins. His breath gives us life so that we can worship our Creator, but our own sinfulness enters in. It messes it up. We suppress the truth. We turn our worship towards other things. So what does God do? Out of the abundance of His love and His grace and His mercy, He sends His own Son to breathe out His own breath of life so that we might not die in our sins. And now we can worship not only our Creator, but now our Redeemer. And it doesn't even end there. Because Jesus doesn't stay dead. And three days later, he comes back to life, and he's going to appear to his disciples who are hiding for fear. In fact, in John chapter 20, verses 19 through 22, it says this, On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus stood, just out of nowhere, stood and came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. And when they had saw this, he showed them his hands and his side. And then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. And Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. And when he said this, listen, in verse 
22, he breathed on them. And he said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. Isn't that awesome? So now the breath of God has come full circle. At creation, he breathes into us the breath of life so that we can come to life. In our sin, we suppress it. So out of his love, he sends Jesus to breathe out his own breath of life so that we may not die in our sins. And then after the resurrection, he breathes on us the Holy Spirit so that we can once again be alive, but now spiritually. All of this, why? Worship. Praise. He's worthy of it. It's all for worship. It's what you were created to do. Your priority should be His praise. You praise not only because He's your creator, but because He's your redeemer. And not only that, He's your sustainer. Who breathed out His own breath of life for you. Now, the application of this text is really quite simple. I mean, the whole text is application. Praise the Lord. There you go. Let's pray and get out of here. (laughs) Like, that's the application. Praise the Lord. Uh, But what I'd like to do is just give you three quick questions to think about and to ponder as we kind of close our time. The first one is this. What do you need to do in your life to help remind you of who God is and what God has done? Have you forgotten? Has your worship and your praise of God grown stale and stagnant because you've forgotten who He is? You come sometimes and you're unmoved, unaffected. There is no true passion or drive there. Are you forgetting who He is? And what do you need to do in your life to help remind you of that? Some of you, it's just going to be as simple as remembering what He's done for you. What He's done in your heart and in your life. Maybe in the life of someone close to you. Maybe for others of us, we need to return to the cross and we need to sit there and remember His redemption and let that fuel our worship and our praise. What do you need to do to remember who God is and what God has done? I know in my life, just to be honest, when, when I feel like my worship is lackluster, it usually is a direct result of my personal worship of my time alone with the Lord, of my study, of my prayer, how is your personal worship of God going? And then the second thing I'd like us to consider this morning is this. What instrument or tool has God given you to praise Him with? He's given us all something. Multiple things. There is nothing that is off limits to God. What instrument has He given you that you need to use in worship? And then the last thing is this. Are you a worshiper of God? Listen, the main point that I'm trying to make this morning is that the praise of God should be the priority of the believer. Are you a believer? Have you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ so that you can now worship the only thing that is really worthy of your worship? And you can ascribe value and worth to the only thing that will actually satisfy you. And you can stop suppressing the truth and you can wake up and see that God is a creator God, a redeemer God, a sustainer God, a God that loves you in spite of you to the point of giving out his last breath on the cross for you.
why not worship the one who is actually worthy of your worship? You're going to worship something. Worship God. And in just a moment when we respond, we're going to have, some of us are going to be up here. We'd love to talk to you and to pray with you about that if you would like. We'd love to pray with you about really anything, if, especially in regards to worship. And, and, and we'd love to, 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 to meet you. If you want to come join the church, this is a time where you could do that as well. But we were created to do this. In fact, you know the book of Psalms ends just like the book of Revelation does? With everything just praising God. I mean, that's it. What else is there? But a holy God and his creation who is redeemed and loved by him in a way that we will never understand so that we can worship and serve and love this Redeemer. Our praise should be our priority. The praise of God should be our priority. Let's pray. Father, thank you for uh, this time this morning, and we thank you for this series that we've been in. We thank you, God, um, that you have created us, that you have sustained us, that you have redeemed us. We thank you for so many things, and we also admit to you So often do we fail in this. So often do we forget who you are and what you've done. So often, God, do we run from you instead of worshiping you. Letting our circumstances dictate our praise and our worship. And God, we admit that to you. But help us. See how holy you are. See how mighty you are. That you are such an awesome, awesome God. And that you and you alone are worthy of our worship. And you and you alone can satisfy us as we seek you in worship. And so we give you our worship this morning. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. And maybe your response needs to be to stand and to worship. Let's do that now.